This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 28th, 2021, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this is a special episode because it is our end of the year look back at the biggest moments of 2021. It's been a crazy year in a lot of ways, and a lot of memories were made here on this show. We're going to focus this episode on some of the best conversations and guests that joined us. We actually had the ambitions to uh, try to do a best of the year uh, cast moments episode. Impossible. (laughs) There's just too much content to go through. And uh, sorry about that. But there's a lot of funny moments that happened this year at the cast. Why don't you just go back and listen to our archives yourself? Uh, But it's a lot easier to excerpt uh, conversations. And uh, what we did was rounded up some of our favorites throughout the year. This is by no means an exhaustive list. This is just some highlights. Also, it's just going to be some short clips. It's going to have a lot of variety. It's going to keep moving. And we hope you enjoy this little walk down memory lane. 2021, man, we had some of the most, I don't know, influential, interesting, creative, impactful guests that we've ever had in the 16 years that we've been doing this show. Uh, In fact, kicking things off early in the year, back in January on the 29th, we talked to one of our favorite groups, Johnny Swim. The husband and wife duo joined us to discuss their creative endeavors during the pandemic and how they stayed healthy and happy in the middle of a very difficult creative season. Here's a little bit of our conversation with Amanda and Abner, Johnny Swim. So let's burn the bridges down. Let's burn the bridges down. Light them up, no turning around. No escape through the ashes now. Is, uh, is shooting stuff around the house, having cameras up, do you feel, does it feel like you're on stage the entire time at all? Is that a, wish. is it anxiety inducing? Not for me. It does for me. It does not feel, it does, there's a pressure of being on, so I feel that. But it's more like being in a day-long interview oh, yeah, than it is being on stage. It's, yeah, it's not really like, it's not the same as being on stage, because you know, on stage there's interaction, you know, there's like a joint mm. excitement for everybody to be there, and you know, there's you know, community happening on stage. And this is just kind of eyeballs. This just feels like eyeballs are on you. And, you know, you have to pee and you're always thinking about your microphone. If you say something about somebody, you're like, oh, that guy's so weird. I don't know why he's here. And you're like, crap, my microphone's on. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not always 100% smooth at Casa de Ramirez. (laughs) Maybe somebody's bugging you and I got to tell my wife somebody's bugging me. Maybe I forgot I had my mic on. (laughs) Dang it. Okay. Well, now everybody knows. You both are used to working at home. This is something that you have been doing since long before all of this. A lot of people are struggling with this right now. They're losing all sense of a balance between their jobs and their lives and what they want to do for fun and what they have to do to make money. Any advice for those of us who are not as experienced as you are in how to maintain a good, healthy work-life balance from home? I think having a traditions during the week. So like we'll have Taco Tuesday if we order in or whatever, that kind of changes. But, you know, we just have these things that I think as a family, at least it kind of helps us remember what day of the week it is, because I think yeah. it's a hard part of being home. It just feels like a never ending. It keeps us knowing that we're in time and space and That's we right. haven't just been hurled out into eternity and where every day is the same. I feel like the COVID blues really kick in when you start losing your sense of motion. 
when you and mm-hmm. for us that's really easy to lose because our motion is very literal we need to edit the book we need to film whatever it is all those kind of become easier to do and to accomplish because we know here at home we got motion we're moving Well, in June, one of our favorite leaders and speakers, uh, Christine Kane, joined us. She's an author and an activist. She heads up the A21 campaign with her husband. Uh, She joined us in June to discuss spiritual burnout, uh, how we can easily fall into it, and how we can help prevent it. It was a very helpful conversation for a lot of us. Here's part of our conversation with Christine Kane. If you could go back and sort of prep Chris in 2015 for what was coming what would you tell her that could maybe have have kept you anchored instead of that could have kept you and, and prepared you at a spiritual level for the storms that you were about to go through as we all go through storms eventually? Well, Tyler, I would I would kind of flip that a bit because I think the reason I didn't drift out to sea is because of the practices I had developed. A lot of other things that I had hoped would keep me, whether it was relationships, systems, structures. No, they didn't. Like if that Mm -hmm. was, if my trust was there, I'd be out to sea with everybody else. But um, as I I go through and and talk about the value of, you know, the word and prayer and church and healing and trusting God, I mean, we're talking basic biblical truths and I keep saying it, you'll hear me say it a hundred times, all you have to do to drift is nothing. Like in this period, if we all just are not proactively going, I better check my anchor, check the links in my chain and go, you know what, am I really rooted and grounded in Christ? And some of these things that I think are negotiable, does church really matter? Does reading the Bible really matter? Does praying really matter? Does community really matter? Um, You know, does gossip really matter? Does slander really matter? Does Mm -hmm. sleeping around really matter? Does this, all the stuff that we think does it, I'm like, y'all, need to check the links in your chain because some of the stuff that we are flippant with um, when a Category 5 hurricane comes, and it will come for all of us, um, you know, I think being part of a life-giving community is um, very, very important because I wouldn't have made it alone. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 and you know, you think, wow, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of decades. I'm on the front lines doing this. Yeah. But the, the practice of gathering, um, I think, is is so it's so important it's not just a token thing in that season tyler to be honest I, there were times i couldn't take myself to jesus i needed someone to carry me in february we talked to award-winning actor daniel kalua his new movie at the time, Judas and the Black Messiah, had just come out. And we talked to him about how he prepared for that role, uh, which was depicting one of the most influential yet unknown civil rights activists. Here's part of our conversation with Daniel Kalua. America's on fire right now. Imagine what we could accomplish together. We can heal this whole city. You ain't tell me it was gonna be like this. These ain't no terrors. We got a rat, man. Does anybody else know about me? No one knows your identity. When I um, really took in the scope um, of his ideas, his concepts, his beliefs, his love for the people, I felt, I felt just honored. 
to kind of um, step into, spiritually step into this position, I mean, for this narrative and to be a part of continuing the legacy, you know what I'm saying? In, in, in my medium with, you have Chairman Fred Jr. doing it in the, in the real world as well, you know what I'm saying? So it felt very, it felt like an honor and I just wanted to, 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 to honor that. I'd seen that the, the site, the memorial site of the, of the shootings had been destroyed. I remember that. I remember they had been destroyed. And then Chairman Fred Jr. was explaining to me about how the police come and kind of wreck those, those kind of places. So that it, 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 it was, for me, it was a microcosm of what's been done for centuries. You know, it's the, um, disruption of necessary healing um, that from the powers that be. And I saw that there and I felt, I just felt like, yo, I, I didn't feel like I had anything to prove. I didn't, I just was like, yo, I'm here to connect on a, on a real level. I'm trying to understand your point of view, how, how you guys see the world. You know what I'm saying? I want to look through your eyes. I don't want to look at you. I want to look with you. Yeah. You know what I'm so yeah. that's how that's how I, I felt I didn't I just remember those kind of things and I remember the energy was just we were just talking we were just chatting there I didn't feel fair if, if I'm being brutally honest yes I just understood that there's a bounce yes there's a bounce because yeah. it's beyond bouncy ground you understand what yeah. I'm saying that's life In early December, we spoke with former Bachelor contestant Madison Pruitt. Her new book, Made for This Moment, had just come out, and we talked about why God has a plan and purpose for everyone. Here's part of our conversation with Maddie Pruitt. You know, I think this message is so important, but sometimes there are people that still just don't think that they even have any sort of plan. Um, so yeah. like all of this is just so hard for them to believe. So what would you say to someone who just really doubts that God has any sort of plan mm -hmm. for their life? I love that. So I, I preach the message. Yes, you were made for this moment, but really it goes back to, again, the message of it's so much bigger than you and you being made for this moment is actually to make a difference for other people. And it's actually to add value to the world around you. And it's crazy. Uh, I, I just, I just know this, like from my personal experience, but it's crazy when you start adding value to other people and making a difference to other people, the confidence and purpose that that brings you. And I know for me, you know, mission trips I've taken, moments where I've, I've, you know, spoken messages or written or posted something or whatever it was, you know, where I, I didn't feel confident. I didn't feel like, okay, why am I even up here speaking? There's so many other people that could be up here speaking that are so much more qualified, who have all the things, who are older and wiser and all the things. But I just, I was like, you know what? But I'm going to do this because this is what God has called me to do. And I'm going to do it faithfully. And as, as soon as I would get done speaking, or as soon as I would walk away from a conversation or walk away from writing or posting something, you know, I'd have so many people run up to me and be like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. Like that literally just changed everything for me. And I always like to tell people, you know, 
it's crazy how one act of courage and how one step of obedience and how just saying yes to what God has for you can lead to other people's freedom, can lead to other people's confidence, can lead to other people's act of courage and ultimately to their revelation of who God is. And so therefore, yeah, there there is a heavy, you know, not heavy, but there's a weight on our lives and a responsibility at hand that we have to really step into the fullness of what God has for us. But the beauty of it is, is that, you know, it's so much bigger than us and that it's God who gives us that confidence, that strength, grace, and courage that we need to walk that out. I know a bunch of you probably are heading to Atlanta in the next week or so for the Passion Conference, uh, January 2nd and 3rd. That's a free plug. Uh, Well, in May... Pastor Louis Giglio joined us uh, to talk about his new book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. It had just come out. So we talked about fighting and winning battles physically, mentally, and spiritually. Here's part of our conversation with Passion Pastor Louis Giglio. I was surprised. Uh, it made sense after I thought about it for a second that Psalm 23 is such a big part of the book because because I, I know the table setting a presence for the for myself at the table of my enemies thing is part of that psalm, but I hadn't really made that connection until you put it the way that you did there. So how did Psalm twenty three become central uh, to the book over as you started writing it? Well, I think because um, a it's an even though I will psalm, and that's a big part of this book that um, you know life gives us what it gives us, but the overwhelming hope that we have is that we can resolve to think positive thoughts and to think truth and to live on truth and to act on truth no matter what's happening in our world. And even a phrase like, even though I walk through the valley of Mm -hmm. the shadow of death, and then here comes the flip, I will fear no evil. And there are many, many huge places in scripture where that even though I will narrative happens. But I think for me, it was the revelation for the first time when I realized where I was and how I felt surrounded and how paranoia had sort of taken control of the story. Like everybody's against me. Everybody's out to get me. I got to watch my back and I got to lay awake at night. And I just hadn't really seen it before that God wanted to put the table in the middle of the conflict. And if I had written that psalm, I would have written, you prepare a table for me in your presence. Mm. Let's get rid of the enemies. (laughs) It's just me in your presence. (laughs) And he says, no, I'm going to put it here. And it's the same Uh as as what he did with Elisha. You know, Elisha's servant said, hey, bad news this morning. We're surrounded. The army came in the night and they've got the whole town surrounded. Mm -hmm. And Elisha just said, Lord, help my servant see. And when he did, he realized that God had surrounded all of the armies that had surrounded them. And God puts the table in the middle of the enemies so that they can see that he is sufficient for us. It's all ultimately about him getting glory. If you're anything like me, you're a fan of this guy's work. In November, we were joined by comedic actor Tony Hale. Uh, His new movie, Clifford the Big Red Dog, had just come out. We talked about uh, the new creative endeavors he's pursuing. And, you know, I mean, Veep, Arrested Development, all-time, all-time actor here. Here's part of our conversation with Tony Hill. Uncle Casey, can't it just stay for one night? 
one night. Really? How big is he going to get? That depends on how much you love him. It kind of seems like a lot of people look at movies as in there's the family-friendly movies that are for everybody and kids can go see them, but they're not really serious movies. And then there's the grown-up movies that are taken a little more seriously, but kids can't go see those. And I'm wondering if this project bridges that divide in any interesting ways. I, I will say, my daughter's 15 now, but when she was younger, we were, um, we were just hungry for like something for the whole family to watch and have a mm-hmm. good experience with it that I wouldn't just want to like, you know, bash my head against the wall. When was, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's like, and also was when, and Walt Becker, the director is smart because he brings people together like John Cleese, mm-hmm. you know, and David Allen Greer um, and Keenan Thompson. And, I mean, I grew up on John Cleese. Monty Python was like the thing to watch. And, oh, wow. and so it was, it kind of brings that adult sense of comedy in. So I appreciate that. In addition to being eye candy, I mean, watching these special effects come to life with a large oh, sure. red dog walking through the city of New York, that's just kind of an awesome spectacle. Uh-huh. So I think this is the marriage of those two things where this, the family can go watch and everybody can have a good time. You mentioned this very divisive season that we're in, which is obviously very hard to live through and, and I think is is wearing on us all in a lot of ways. And I'm curious if you could sort of give a message to everybody who goes to see this movie or, or give them an idea to hold on to, uh, what would it be? Yeah, there's a scene where, which is a heartbreaking scene where Clifford wants to make himself small in order to make things better. And I just think like, uh, just this, and not to say it again, but really that celebration of the differences and the uniqueness and really trying to build those bridges where if you take a step and rather than criticize, rather than judge, rather than put someone in a box or label them, but really listen and try to have empathy and try to support, that is genuinely where growth, that equation is where growth happens. Over the summer, uh, specifically the August 13 episode, we talked to author and speaker Jackie Hill Perry. She had a new book called Holier Than Thou. And uh, we talked about walking through life, focusing on God's holiness. Powerful conversation. Here's part of it with Jackie Hill Perry. I feel like holiness is, it's one of those big words that we use, but we don't always think about what it means. Mm -hmm. Um, So, how would you, in your own words, how do you describe holiness? Yeah, well, it really just means separate, set apart. Uh, and God as holy means he is separated from us in the sense that he is different and unique because he exists differently from us. Like, for example, everybody that exists was created. <laughs> God wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, so automatically he's just completely different. All of us are dependent. God isn't. He doesn't need anyone but himself to be himself. Uh, and so that that's what sets him apart. But what also sets him apart is his moral righteousness, his, his moral purity. It's that he cannot sin, will not sin, cannot look upon evil. Of Jesus, it was said that there was no sin found in him, no deceit in his mouth. And so holiness is just being separated from all that is common. Uh, we become holy insofar as we become like God. Because there are two extremes. There's the extreme where 
God is so transcendent that there is no nearness or intimacy. And I think you can see that in some fundamentalists' uh, relationships with God, where they know all the things, but their faith seems dead. You know, there's no zeal, there's no joy, there's no uh, power in the way they live out their Christian faith, in the way they talk about their relationship with God. But then there are those who become so familiar, he is so close and so near, that they begin to treat him like commonplace, where there's a lack of reverence, right? And so I think to hold the tension is faith. <laughs> it's to say that, man, God is high and lifted up, but he has also came near to me through Jesus Christ. I told you we, I told you we had some hits this year. You know, I mean... This lineup, come on. What podcast, folks? What podcast? All right. Well, in April, we talked to world-changing church planner, author, thinker, pastor Francis Chan. We talked about the importance of unity within the church body, which is something we definitely should strive to obtain and move in the future. Uh, here's part of our conversation with Francis Chan. What would you say to people, and there's so many of them, we've heard from so many of them, Irrelevant, I'm sure you've heard from these people as well, who want unity um, with people in their church, with maybe friends, family members who are also in the church, but um, but they feel like there's an alienation there, maybe owing to the political situation, possibly to religious uh, division. Uh, they, they are trying to figure out how to bridge that gap, but it just seems insurmountable. Um, where, what do we do? I think about Exodus 14, when uh, Moses is leading the people out of Egypt and they're backed up against the Red Sea and it's impossible. It's just impossible. An army's coming. You've got a couple rocks and a bunch of, you know, and this giant army is coming. There's no way out. And Moses said, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be quiet. And then this miracle happens. That's, that's what I'm believing for. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really believe that if we can just shut up, okay, not even come up with all of our plans and strategies, here's how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. No, just can we learn to be quiet in the sacred presence of God again? Because if, if we could, like Ecclesiastes 5, just guard our steps when we go to the house of God, not to say anything, but just to stand in awe of God. It's, it's like Bonhoeffer said in Life Together, like if you don't have that time with the Lord, then whenever you do go to the church and open your mouth, it's actually going to ruin the church. You're actually going to hurt it by sharing your thoughts and opinions that come from a place that isn't deep in the heart of God. big year for our next guest, uh, rapper Andy Minio. He joined us in October, specifically the October 8th episode. Talk about his brand new album, Neverland 2, which is awesome. We talked to him right after it dropped. Uh, we spoke about what influenced the music and how he's grown as an artist over the years. Here's part of our conversation 
was none other than Andy Minio. It could be worse. Life is hard, I thank God. It could be worse. Life is hard, I thank God. It could be worse. I'm curious about how much you feel a pressure, like the tension between on the one hand, uh, I know what people who are listening to me like, uh, I know how to deliver another another coming in hot, but I also want to push myself as an artist. I also want to like continue right. to grow and expand my palette. Do you feel that? Is that, a, is that a wrestling match you struggle with when you're creating? Constantly. For example, like when I made the arrow, like all I, all I was working on was just like expressing just art. You know what I'm saying? And that has been the most deeply impactful album for people from me. Like I, there's more tattoos of the arrow on people than anything else, but it's also one of my lowest selling albums. <laughs> so it has this, it's weird because, you know, the hits are what get people's attention and make uh -huh. them care, interested in, in hearing your stuff. But then the, the true and honest and vulnerable stuff is what, connects with people the most so like no one's coming up to me going like coming in hot changed my life you know <laughs> people are like that's a jam like, it's a banger yeah, yeah. right and then um uh, but uh, people always come up to me and be like clarity changed my life or whatever record honest to god so for me it's just about trying to find a balance of those things because i'm an artist for a living so there's this weird dependency on people liking my stuff, sharing it, being exposed to it. And so it's a bit of a game. And I, and I think I always feel intention for that to provide music that can be mass appeal, have mass appeal, but then also still be able to speak to people's hearts. Want to touch the hearts and touch the charts. Uh -huh. <laughs> When the crisis in Afghanistan escalated uh, this year uh, in September, we spoke with World Relief's Jenny Yang to better understand what was going on and what Christians can do to help. Here's part of a, a very important conversation we had with Jenny Yang. I'm wondering if this is something that I feel like I've seen this and, and I'm wondering if this has been your perception as well, that over the last maybe five, maybe longer than that, maybe 10 years, the sort of work that you all do at World Relief has become a little bit politicized and maybe more controversial than it was when I was younger. And I'm wondering if that's something that you've experienced or perceived and if you have any thoughts about why that might be. Well, I think whenever you're talking about humanitarian protection and humanitarian assistance, you have to look at the broader picture and you really are, are trying to address root causes of what causes poverty, what causes injustice. And oftentimes when you look at the root causes, it's, it's systemic in nature. And so, yes, I think we as, as flowers of Jesus do have a responsibility to be political and by political, I don't mean to be partisan, which is blind allegiance to one political party, believing they have all the answers, but Political means basically um, engaging the polis or the common community in which we all live in to basically use our voice and our influence to speak up to those in positions of power to make a difference. So, yes, if, if people say that, you know, the issue of refugees and migration is politicized, I would say that I think, yes, we have to engage in, in political conversations 
for us to be able to best serve the people that we care about. And so when the president is making policies or having positions or using a certain narrative that we believe is harmful to the image of God, of people who are particularly vulnerable, we will call him out on that or call her out on that. And so I think for us to be political is really to be engaged in broader conversations around the common good. And we, again, have an opportunity and a responsibility to ensure that our values are reflected in public policy considerations. And when we don't speak up, it creates a vacuum in which people who don't adhere to our values are shaping decisions that impact all of us. And so we have a place in the public square. We have a responsibility in the public square. And I think especially when policies impact those whom we're called to serve, uh, we have a responsibility to be political. you've been following Relevant at all for the last two years, and if you're listening to this episode, I would like to think that you have, you know how much we love Maverick City music. <laughs> uh, back in May, we caught up with Chandler Moore. Uh, I mean, listen, no worship group had a busier year than Mav City. So we discussed the group's live collaboration album with Elevation Worship that had just come out and a lot more. Here's part of our conversation with Maverick City Music's Chandler Moore. Is it ever an audience thing? Because like some people are writing for, you know, Becky in Des Moines, Iowa, and then some people are writing for Atlanta or for Brooklyn or, or Los yeah. Angeles. I feel like that would create, that could be kind of an interesting thing too, because some people are like, well, at my church, they would never say something like that. You know, we just don't do that. And I think that would be kind of tough to work with. Exactly. It's very, very, even with, uh, even with Jaira, like Jaira, I mean, you've never heard, you know, and Pastor Fred was like, he's like, wait, did you just sing Jaira? Like, is that what you just said? He's like, have you ever seen that? I was like, no. He's like, let's put it in the song. And it was, it was his appreciation yeah. of how yeah, different yeah, yeah. it was and how it has not been incorporated in the space. So I feel like well, the way we do stuff, the way we write wouldn't work for people who are trying to protect their world, who are trying mm. to protect huh. their sphere, who are trying to protect their, uh, what the chair tradition, what they have always experienced. But I think it always, it works for people who are open and ready to be like, yo, I know we do it like this, but we need something new. Let's tear down the walls. Let's break those rules and see what happens. You know, when we welcome another, uh, another type of taste into this space, you know what I'm saying? This year, there was some hard news in the church um, after apologist Ravi Zacharias uh, died. Um, you know, news came out about a lot of not great stuff, and there was an investigation and all that. So, following that, back in February, late February, the 23rd, we talked with activist Rachel Den Hollander about what the Ravi Zacharias investigation means for the future of the church and why it's important to have these tough conversations. Here's part of our very important conversation with Rachel Den Hollander. 
you know, the most important thing that we can do uh, and that we need to examine is what we message because victims are always watching. Victims and perpetrators are both always watching. Perpetrators are highly, highly skilled predators. They look for dynamics that are going to ensure that if anybody ever speaks up, they won't be believed. So they look for places that miswield, that, that wield improperly those concepts of authority, those concepts of justice and forgiveness. They look for places that don't understand trauma and abusive dynamics that aren't going to bring in outside accountability and outside help. Perpetrators look for those dynamics. And victims also look for those dynamics. They watch how we talk about issues of abuse and they know that's what they would think about me. If this leader is talking about or, or not even bothering to talk about uh, the victims who have come forward this way, if they're not even bothering to push for or ask for accountability, if they don't see the need for independent counsel, that's what they would think about me. You know, and one of the things that came out of the Miller and Martin report is that that's exactly what happened to so many of the women who are abused by Robbie. They watched what happened to Lorianne when she spoke up and they said, nobody cares. Nobody even cares. And if they did that to her, that's what they're going to do to me. So how we talk about abuse and abusive dynamics, how it is preached on, uh, how it is communicated on our social media platforms, the priority and emphasis we place upon it in our ministries, um, that really is the most critical dynamic. That's what signals to abusers, you're not going to be safe here. And if you abuse, we're going to defend the sheep. That's also what signals to victims, they actually understand and I'm safe to speak up. So what we communicate really is the most important thing that we can do. That of course requires knowledge. Um, you know, so again, it is, it is absolutely critical that we start really grappling with the realities of abuse and abusive dynamics, with our theology of authority, our theology of forgiveness, and start delving into where we have gotten this so wrong. Back in October, uh, we talked to Pastor Derwin Gray about how we can utilize prayer to get our lives back on track, something we all need, um, especially as we're starting a new year. Uh, this was from the October 5th episode. Here's part of our conversation with Derwin Gray. I think it's important for all of us to understand that we are a localized people. That's a word that philosophers or sociologists will, will use, that, that we are localized in a context. So as people in the West and even uh, in various parts of Europe, they're listening as well. <clears throat> we are what's called children of the Enlightenment Way long time ago, 1600s, 1700s, 1500s, the Enlightenment took place. What's the Enlightenment? Uh, Rene Descartes, a Christian philosopher, was combating atheism, and he came up with a philosophical thought that he thought would prevent atheism, but actually brought in a secular sacred divide. And what he said is, I think, therefore I am. Before Descartes launched that into to, to, to the world, it was because there is a God. And if you wasn't a Christian, there were other gods that defined who you were. You didn't define who you were, your higher being. And so as Christians, I am because of the great I am. He's the one that we live and move and, and have our being. So once the Enlightenment project began to sweep through Europe, sweep through America, it has made us hyper-individualized. In other words, instead of when we read the Lord's Prayer, it says our Father, but the way we read it is my Father. Prayer does not change God's mind. 
Prayer changes us so that we can understand the mind of God. Philippians 2.5, we have the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ is one of saying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. In September, we talked to Pastor John Mark Comer. He had just released a new book called Live No Lies. It's a good goal. Uh, We spoke to him about how Christians can pursue truth in a world that's constantly spreading lies. This is from the September 21st episode. Here is John Mark Comer. Sometimes the lies, they feel like there's an, like an air of truth to them. Obviously I know, you know, money does not bring happiness. Um, I mean, money to an extent helps, but it does not bring pure happiness. So there's things like that. You know, how do you identify a lie that there is some truth in it, but there's not full truth? Yeah. I mean, I, it's hard in our dogmatic kind of polarized right versus left us versus them kind of anti-reason cultural moment that we're in. But um, I, I think you're absolutely right. That is the challenge of our time. And most good lies are mostly true. And if you think about, you know, a lot of cults that, you know, came to prominence over the last century or so, they're basically 95% in agreement with Christian Orthodox doctrine. But the 5% where they're off is like, you know, core. (laughs) It's like the nature of who Jesus is or the resurrection of the dead or, you know, Mm -hmm. the 5% Mm -hmm. where they're in error is like the linchpin, you know? And um, this is the great danger of ideology. And there are ideologies on the left that I would be incredibly familiar with just by virtue of living in Portland. And then there are ideologies on the right that other people, depending on where you live or what your digital algorithm is, you'd be more familiar with. But ideology, the best definition I know of ideology is when you take a part of the truth and you make it the whole. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, communism would be a great example where you take something that's true, this idea of class struggle and oppressed and oppressor and kind of the struggle between the elites of society and, you know, the proletariat. But, But that, if you just take that as the whole truth and then overlay that over an entire nation's history and reality... At that point, it's no longer true. It's, it's because life is way more complex than that and uh, a thousand times more complex than that. And so it's not that it's not true that, you know, there are oppressed and oppressor and there's class struggle. It's that when you make that the whole truth, you now are in a, into a lie. Um, so all that to say, that's a great salient example at a meta level. But I think when we're in just interpersonal stuff or our own life, it's just always looking for that 5% that's off or looking for the yeah, but or the yeah, and or where has this critique or this idea or this value become an ideology? It's become not part of the truth, but the whole truth. And as a result, become untrue. We got your church leaders. And then we have your A-list celebrities. In September, we talked to none other than actress Jessica Chastain. Uh, She was the cover story of our fall digital issue of Relevant. And she joined us to discuss her new movie, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Her performance was unbelievable. Uh, She shared with us her thoughts on the real Tammy Faye Baker and how she prepared for the role. 
Here's part of our conversation with Jessica Chastain. There was something and that's at the end of our film and it's actually taken directly. These are her exact words from something that I had seen her do when she was preaching. And she said, you know, she's talking about the grace of God. And she says, without that beautiful grace, I wouldn't be here today. And she said, the grace that reached down and said, Tammy Faye, I love you. And I love you just the way you are. God's grace is sufficient enough for you today, too. And he loves you just the way you are. And that, to me, is everything about our movie is trying to say. That, to me, is... I could get emotional talking about this. Even if you feel unloved, even if you feel unworthy... Even if you've made mistakes in your life, even if you feel like you've been thrown away by society or you've been judged upon, you are worthy of love. And Tammy strongly believed that. And I think that's why so many connected with her, because there was there was something in her that saw the grace in you. And um, it's a good reminder to have someone see that. Go for it looking in the rear view mirror of my life. This is who I am. Well, one of my best friends, Propaganda, joined us in June. He uh, he's a hip hop artist, he's a poet, he's an activist. Uh, his new book called Terraform had just come out. So we talked about how we can build a better world together. Here's our conversation, part of our conversation. Propaganda. The truth is I am no different. We move as a unit. Whole planet's the movement. If y'all ain't here with us, then it ain't worth doing it. It's unison, Nubian, Sufian. I ain't choose sides. I won't disturb the groove. For me, it's like I wanted to figure out a way to like make the whole thing. Like you said, like let's carry this whole idea through that there isn't it isn't like the book, all oh, this is supporting the book or all oh, this is supporting the album or mm-hmm. the coffee is a supplement to this. Like, no, it's all one yeah. sort of planet mm-hmm. that you're walking into. Uh, and I think, too, a phrase my wife told me from one of the brilliant feminist philosophers she reads that could be anybody, but just smarter than all of us. But one thing she said was uh, that the personal is political. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And that culture can only be as healed as we are. So, mm. so mm. when you, so when you think about that, like, you know, if we're out here mm. protesting. A lot of that has to do with what's going on inside of you. If you out here protesting from rage, oftentimes it's because mm. you're not healed inside of you. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm. Um, for a good, and it might be, you might've got it honestly, you know what I'm saying? But taking care of yourself Mm. And holistically, you know what I'm saying, is a part of us seeing systemic change. So um, so that's why I was like, yo, this coffee slowing down, enjoying like what's coming from the soil and and taking care of yourself first. You know what I'm saying? Um, Mm. In addition to how you see in the rest of the planet, like all of it, music, you know, art, the podcasting, it's all 
it's all one thing and it's all helping us see the world better and making a better world so yeah it's like it's supposed to be reflective of this whole universe and of what I would hope for all of us feel like real life a TikTok loop control CV another Jillian roof came to the table willing and able trying to keep the hood safe family stable appeal to your better nature look inside our faces we are human we got issues trying to work on those yes but why I gotta tell you you know when we're doing the best of there's a conundrum because it's fun to remind y'all about the great conversations we had earlier in the year that you probably forgot about you know it's fun unearthing those reminding you uh but what ha- what do you do when some of your best content your most incredible interviews your biggest guests appeared in just in the last few weeks that's a conundrum so here you go just a couple weeks ago <laughs> actor zachary levi joined us uh, we talked about his new movie, American Underdog. Uh, we also talked about why it's important to have hope during this season. Here's part of our conversation with Zachary Levi. All my life, I've defined myself through sports. I've always come up empty. Coach, I can win for you. You need to start thinking about life after football, son. We gave you the chance. We're letting you go. Uh, what is something that you hope, you know, when audiences see this, what do you hope that they walk away from this, like, you know, taking from this movie? Yeah. Um, hope, inspiration overall, you know, however, look, I, I, I think movies always have an opportunity, whether they're, whether they're real life Cinderella story biopics or complete fiction, we, they all have the opportunity to inspire, to, to generally inspire audience goers to, do something, whether it means to inspire them to go create themselves or inspire them to be a better person or inspire them to have more faith or inspire them to have deeper hope, whatever that is, I want people to walk away with some manner of inspiration uh, when, when they when they leave this film. But I do think a lot of that will come in the form of of hope, of being able to recognize that as much as sometimes we would love to believe that we know and should be in control of the timing of our life, That's just not true. It's not. And it doesn't matter what faith you are or if you are of no faith at all. That's true of everyone. Nobody gets to time this stuff out. But what is true is that a lot of that journey, like, you know, uh, like in, um, you know, toward the end of the film when Dick Vermeil is talking to Kurt and he's like, you know, how long were you out there in the wilderness? And, and, uh, you know, away from the game, like, like Kurt was like, he, he should have gone from college in the NFL and that didn't happen. And so it was, then it was in the wilderness. And what, what, what was he, what was he doing out there? Like, God, what am I doing out here? And God's just like, just trust me. Just keep on that path. Cause you're about to learn some stuff that you didn't know. And you weren't going to learn it anywhere else. And that's, I think one of the biggest takeaways of this movie. It's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> we all think, you know, what, what is that? We make plans and God laughs. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's that simple. And he, because he had to go through some other trials and tribulations, it, it helped him become a better man and, a, and therefore a better quarterback. Third corner out of the Arena League. It's one of those stories that's too good for the movies. The perfect guy here. He was bagging groceries five years ago. Go out there and you show the world what I've known all along. In November, um, political wonk, commentator, expert, Kirsten Powers, TV personality. I mean, she's got a litany of bio adjectives I could use. Uh, In November, she joined us to talk about her new book, Saving Grace. We discussed how to have grace and compassion for someone you may not see eye to eye with. A very apropos, needed, helpful 
constructive conversation as many of us are navigating extended family that might have different worldviews than we do. <laughs> so here's how to have compassion and grace for something you don't see eye to eye with. Part of our conversation with Kirsten Powers. I'm wondering if you've thought about what grace would mean or what your, bu- what your book would bring to somebody who feels that sense of powerlessness about these sort of cultural we'll call them like main bosses or supervillains that we've constructed who end up being repositories for so much of that negative, decidedly pretty ungracious energy. I guess I would want more information about this because I, I, you know, Jesus was, was praying for people who are murdering him. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't, I don't really see how it's, I, I don't know why, how people really think that their situation is worse than that. Right. It's like, I, I am I will acknowledge that there's a lot of evil going on. There's no question about that. Um it's not more evil than what John Lewis and MLK and Ruby Sales were facing, right? So it's I think that I I think that that's kind of the point is it's actually this is when it's for. Mm-hmm. It's it's not you want extra credit for loving your dad <laughs> like or your neighbor? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like that's yeah. like that's not that's the whole point of grace. It's unearned. So it's exactly for when it's loving your enemies. It's Jesus doesn't say to love people that you like because you already do, right? It's incredibly difficult. Like that's the point because you're you're getting outside of you're getting into a different realm of thinking when you go there. You're not thinking in just a purely materialistic way. You know, you're thinking in a like in a spiritual way, you're thinking in an eternal way, right? That you're seeing something that's greater than just what's happening here. Well, back in July, we talked to Aiden King and Karina Savage from Hillsong's Young and Free. They had a brand new album called Out Here on a Friday, where it began, dropped this summer. So we spoke with them about how they keep their sound fresh. It really is amazing. They just keep plugging in new people, keep innovating, keep progressing. Here's our conversation with Hillsong Young and Free. I think the reason we're so excited is it really showcases new, uh, new young people coming through in our youth ministry. And so um, I feel like every time it comes to any release for Young and Free, we always say like, oh, you know, we're so excited, it's so different. And um, it seems like the cliche response when you put out a new thing. But this really does feel like a new thing because, you know, the majority of the songs are led and sung by like voices that no one's heard before. And with that comes, you know, a new sound. Um, which is different and really exciting and in some ways scary, but it feels like the, the best thing ever for us. We got thrown in the deep end. We were all unruly young people we didn't know what we were doing there was no rule book really we could look at some of the you know we'd look up at the united guys and you know they were older than us and we watched what they did but you know we all had our own you know way of expressing worship and praise to god and and i think one thing that was really cool about like our leadership at church you know at hillsong is that they always really encouraged us to just do what we felt was right 
Um, and so, you know, that's the same approach with these young guys. It's, you know, I think it would be very easy to like just write everything, do everything for them and then let them sing. It's much, so much better when you take a risk and let them do what they think. And I think that's what helps change the sound and, you know, brings a new voice, brings, you know, and you know, the Bible talks about singing a new song and it's like, you know, if, you know, Karina and I just continue to write all the songs, it's, we're not, and we put new voices on it, it's like, we're not really singing a new song. I think we need to, we need, we need to open up uh, the doors wider to let, you know, new people through and let them bring what is unique to them. I think that's how you get something really exciting and, and profound. Well, in April, our next guest dropped a hot new album as well. John Eldridge. No, that's not true. He's an author. Uh, in April, we talked to author John Eldridge about taking care of our soul during the pandemic. And now that it's all coming back, this is a conversation we should definitely revisit. Um, it, we just talk about what it looks like tangibly and why it's so vital. Here's part of our conversation with author John Eldridge. Okay, so um, right now, our family, so I'm going to be super warm. Uh, our family is divided on vaccines. Okay. And there are pro, pro vaccine and folks who say, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's, that's my health choice. And I don't, I don't want to do that for health reasons, not for political reasons. Um, and I can see it trying to divide our family. And I wanted to, okay, so I want to fix it, right? So I'm going to, and so I wanted to send this group text. And, and Jesus caught me and he said, don't send that. that that's further fuel on the fire, pal. Wow. Like, drop all that stuff. It wow. isn't about the vaccine. It's about love. It, it's about love. Bring this back around to how much you love these people and just drop it. Drop it. So I would, I would say if there are things that got in, to the relationship that helped add to the isolation that was the politics of last fall or the politics of last week, you know, or the news or the vaccines or whatever, the past like game, you know what? Drop it. Drop it. That stuff is actually really small potatoes. When you compare to love, that love is the goal. Love is what we're after. Love is what heals relationships. And so I'd be honest, I'd name it. I'd name your thing and say, hey, can we just drop all that other stuff and just we just hang out together? Let's go ride our, let's go do, let's go do a, a road bike trip or something together. Drop the small stuff, gang, and, and drop the incendiary stuff. It's just super unhelpful. Let's come back to love. You love these people. You want relationship. In May, on the 21st episode, uh, we talked with author, activist, and hip-hop artist Sho Baraka. His new book, He Saw That It Was Good, had just dropped. So we discussed how creativity and the arts are essential in the fight for justice and equality. Here's part of our convo with Sho Baraka. When I say persecution, we ain't talking about no violence, dude. What they really want to do is try to silence you. I believe the best of my values and ethics, but my cynicism tells me that your values are reckless. Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it
So for this particular audience uh, that listens, that'll be reading this, listening to this podcast, reading us on Relevant, what, where do you see these communities going wrong and how they create and what you're talking about here? What are some of the frequent missteps that you've observed? Yeah, in the book, I, um, I, I detail a few, like I said, like in story and and the fight of the other view of what justice is i think the misstep is oftentimes is that when you control narratives you often mm-hmm. don't know how the stories you form affect and impact other people and so what i challenge us to do is to, to consistently castigate our work paul talks about mm-hmm. it in second uh, corinthians i think uh where he says the to continue to evaluate yourself and your your salvation to make sure you know um you're you're in right standing with the lord and i think there are often times and i use this a, a quick example they made me take most of it out the book but you know you, you think about um a, a pimp and a prostitute everybody most christians better yet will see that the the, the work of a pimp is demoralizing and is degrading not only to the prostitute but to himself and we see that as a vocation that is unhealthy and most christians would say you need to find different work and we would ask that sister to stop selling her body and try to help liberate her give her a better job you know put her on a trajectory towards uh as we would say probably a more dignifying work and i would say rightfully so however I also talk about in the book how uh, somebody who does payday lending could walk into a church hmm. and um, we would we wouldn't bat an eye on that. Uh, it may be legal in many states, but yet and still it's clearly a means that creates poverty. It creates this cycle of poverty. And so that's an, a way of evaluating how you may think your work is good, but how you may be creating towards the detriment of society. Hello, love. Today the delegation votes. Today we must determine on who was our future foe. I just left the meeting. I got permission to go. So I choose to use this. Well, in July, we talked to one of my favorite groups that dropped an album this year, Japanese Breakfast. Um, uh, lead singer slash uh, she is Japanese Breakfast. Michelle Zahner joined us uh, to talk about her new album, Jubilee, which is a critical hit. Uh, she had a big year this year, releasing a bunch of stuff, actually, uh, books, other things. Uh, we spoke about the new album and how she wrote it in the midst of a difficult circumstance. Here's part of our conversation with Japanese Breakfast. I do want to ask a little bit about Jubilee. It's pretty different and it feels like a very, like you're really exploring some emotions that I don't necessarily associate with Japanese breakfast. Um, where did the, did the like sort of elation and, and hope come from that seemed to me like they really permeate this album? I think I just wanted to fling myself to the other side of the spectrum of human experience. You know, I think that I had written two records largely about grief and loss and then purged like all of those, Mm -hmm. everything I needed to say about that experience in this book that I was sort of able to close, literally close the book on that part of my life and and start this sort of new chapter. And I thought that the most unexpected um, and exciting thing to write about would be something totally different, uh, like joy. I do think I write like sonically joyous music. You know, I think even the songs that are about, Uh Yeah. Grief in some ways can be like really like uplifting sounding. Like I really enjoyed that juxtaposition. In retrospect, I felt like it was a really wonderful experience because I, I, you know, I felt like I really knew what I was doing in this way that I didn't 
no with the book and I was like so frustrated with my own stupidity with the book that I felt like okay this is something I know how to do I've made a number of records before I can you know feel comforted by by doing this again Well, the last couple years have been incredibly important in how, uh, I, I think especially how Christians, how the church has changed its conversation around mental health. The stigma is waning. We can talk about it. People are embracing it. And especially after such a hard year that many uh, years that many of us have gone through, it's more important now than ever. Well, back in June on the 25th, mental health expert, Dr. Caroline Leaf spoke with us about how taking care of our brains can keep us healthy. Interesting. Here's part of our conversation with Dr. Leaf. Where do you see in your experience and your research, where do we tend to go wrong when it comes to controlling our minds? We, I, we, and I felt this myself, feeling like you can't get your thoughts under control. Um, where do we tend to make the most common mistakes with that? Well, just the, the statement that you made now is one of the most common things that people will say and will say to me is that how do you get your mind under control? How do you get mm -hmm. your thoughts under control? Well, the, 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 the thing, the answer is you can. And the answer is it's a skill that you develop. And the answer is it takes, if you're going to have to make the effort to develop it and know what to do, but it's not something that's taught. You know, we taught how to eat properly. We taught how to exit. We all understand that you can't mm -hmm. just become an mm -hmm. athlete overnight, that you've got to go and train to become an athlete and you've got to go to school to become educated. That's all mind driven. All of those are mind driven. What we not trained to do is to actually develop the mind to be able to do all of those things efficiently and to keep our emotions and our and the way we function healthy. Every experience is experienced through the mind. And I can't stress this enough because in order to manage it, you really have to realize when we talk about self-regulation, we are talking about examining the thoughts that are in our mind and fixing the thoughts that are affecting us and that we get stuck and ruminate and continue with toxic habits or where our relationships are affected because of some sort of traumatic abuse in the past or something like that. Self-regulation is that process. So you could do a simple thing like breathe in for three three counts, breathe out for seven counts. If you breathe out longer than you breathe in, you, you push blood flow to the front of your brain and that increases your decision-making capability. So you're suddenly much better with decisions just by that breathing. So it's also calm down the neurochemical chaos. So you kind of, okay, I'm nervous but, and I'm anxious, but I, I can do this versus, oh, I can't do this, it's too much. So that's kind of the breathing. I, there's a lot of different exercises that I've given in the book, but this 10 second pause, three in, seven out, um, is incredibly powerful. Well, I mentioned the conundrum, the conundrum being that you want to, you, you want see, here's the thing when you're making a podcast, you're making a magazine, you're doing anything in media, you want your next one to be your best one. Really? You never want to say, Hey, we've arrived, phone it in, just keep doing the same old thing. You want to keep progressing. You want to keep getting better. And that's what happened this year on the podcast. I'm not saying we started at one place and ended up at another, but we kept striving and it lo and behold, our last guest of the year Maybe the biggest actor of the year. Andrew Garfield joined us on literally last week's, last Friday's episode, Christmas Eve episode. We talked to Andrew Garfield. He is on the cover of the winter issue of Relevant. He was one of the stars of Tick, Tick, Boom. He was one of the stars of The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And he had a major role in another movie that I'm not going to name, but might be in theaters right now. I don't know. 
Anyway, we talked to Andrew Garfield about his wildly exciting year um, and a bunch of his projects. Here's part of our conversation with the one and only Andrew Garfield. They're singing happy birthday. Just wish you could run away. Who cares about a birthday but 3090? Hey, can you be optimistic? You're no longer the ingenue. You know, I, I say it this way, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda made a dream come true of mine that I didn't even know I had. I, I, I wasn't brave enough to think of ever doing a musical. I, was, I wasn't brave. I, w- I didn't have the courage to ever imagine I could be a part of something like this. And it, Lynn, Lynn, Lynn saw me doing Angels in America on, on, on Broadway, and, or he saw me at the National Theatre in London, actually. And um, I think that gave him the confidence. I think he could feel that I was the right person for the character, but obviously the big question mark was the singing because he didn't know if I had ever sung or if I could, but I think he saw that I had a vocal um, technique that enabled me to do an eight hour show, you know, six days a week at the time. And, um, and I think he just kind of said, well, I think if I give you the, the time and the resources to get your voice to that place, I believe you can get there. So I just borrowed his belief. I borrowed um, his confidence and his instincts. And it was a, very gratifying when, um, you know, he, he snuck into a, a rehearsal I was doing one day where I was just practicing and I, he, he threw a shoe at me and shouted at me across the room, Andrew Garfield, you can sing and I don't have to recast you. Johnny can't decide. Michael's gotta have it all. His luck will never break. And rounding things up, uh, this spring in May on the 14th, we spoke with singer-songwriter Natalie Bergman. Her album Mercy was one of our favorites. We spoke with her about finding peace through a difficult but necessary creative process. Here is part of the conversation with Natalie Bergman. about this album just how you wrote about God because I find it very difficult to write about God in ways that are not uh, cliched and, and feel because people have been writing about God for thousands of years now and and it, it's kind of hard to find new things to say the way you found such I'll say powerful ways to talk about God was just through that level of honesty you didn't try to, to dress it up or make it sound like anything that it wasn't uh, you were just you were just singing about God, which sounds very simple and silly, but but my God, it really worked. Well, thank you. I I think that some of the great songwriters, like Bob Dylan, he always he's mysterious, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why he's such a great songwriter is because there's there's the mystery in the song. He's such a great storyteller. He's one of the all time storytellers all-time greatest storytellers and then and then you pair it with a little bit of mystery and that's just a perfect combination now on Mm -hmm. my album i would say there's not a lot of mystery it's very explicit it's very literal and going back to the idea of not being afraid or not being judgmental or overly critical of myself i just 
I just was not afraid to say what I wanted to say on this album and speak from my heart and reference the Psalms, which are so poetic and beautiful. And it's, I mean, the Bible is a masterful work of art. And, you know, borrowing from the writing, recycling it, making my own lyrics. I wasn't afraid to say what I wanted to say, and I wasn't afraid to sing about Jesus either. <laughs> Well, before we wrap it, listen, if you are a longtime listener, and again, we have been podcasting since 2005, folks. It's a lot of shows. And in fact, in 2022, we will be hitting our thousandth episode. It'll be probably in September. I think we did the math. And when we do hit that milestone, we will celebrate um, whether it's a tour or a live event or something. We will celebrate a thousand episodes with you guys. It's crazy. Well, if you've been listening to the year end episode over the years, you know that there's two things that almost always happen. One, we end it with all of those random Jesse outros from the entire year. Yes, that is coming up. Also, you know that the other thing that just started happening and it's happened more years than not is my kid would be on Christmas break while we were recording this. So he'd be at the office with us or whatever. And he'd usually pop in and say hi during the show. Well, we are working remotely and I'm in my home podcast studio right now. And guess who's on Christmas break? My kid. But before I introduce Cohen to you guys who have been listening over the years, in your head, you have sweet little Cohen. He just likes, he likes to play games, video games. Yeah, that's who you have in your head. That is not who he is anymore. Uh, Cohen, say hi to the Relevant Podcast listeners. Hi to the Relevant Podcast uh -huh. listeners. I'm, li I'm living with a full-grown adult who happens to be <laughs> in sixth grade. He, he literally has, what size are your feet? 11 and a half now? 11 and a half. Yeah, exactly. This is, folks, this is surreal. So anyway, <laughs> Cohen, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, whenever we have new people come on the show, I, I grab my stack of table topics cards and I grab a couple and I have a couple for you. Are you ready for them? Sure. Are you willing? Okay, here we go. What do you say that sounds just like your mother or father? <laughs> Anything come to mind? No. <laughs> no, you just want nothing to, you want to be nothing like me. Is that what you're trying to tell the public? You haven't adopted any of my <laughs> wisdom and any of my <laughs> insights into your life. All right. Next question. Uh, what would you like to be doing in 10 years? Uh, not be dead. That's a good <laughs> goal to exist. I, I agree with that. I affirm <laughs> your goals, buddy. Um, all right. Last question. What five foods do you wish were banished from earth? Five foods you wish were banished from earth. Um, one pecans. Why? They're pecans. They're that's a good. That's a good point. You make a good point. <laughs> um, fruit cake. Okay. Have you ever had fruit cake? Yes. Okay, I haven't. So <laughs> I, I know that the reputation is that it's gross. What does it taste like? Does it taste like fruit? or Does it taste like something else? It tastes like something else. It's just gross. Okay, gotcha. So no pecans, no fruit, fruit, fruit cake. And this is a holiday tradition. You got three more. <laughs> um, gingerbread. You've been eating our gingerbread house. What are you talking about? You ate the chimney 
Uh, okay. You br- literally I, ruined our gingerbread <laughs> house because you keep eating the gingerbread. What are you talking about? Um, gingerbread by itself. Uh, gingerbread like with, the frosting and with stuff. anything else is fine. Just not plain gingerbread. You know what? We were watching that uh, Baking It show that Chris yeah. on Peacock, which is fantastic. And they were making gingerbread houses. Remember that one time? Yeah. And the bakers were talking about how little they like gingerbread. <laughs> so I think you're not alone on that. Okay, that's three. You got two more. Banished forever from the face of the earth. Grapefruit. Interesting. Another fruit. You're having issues with fruits. Yeah, fruitcake. And lastly, banished from the face of the earth. Cabbage. Cabbage? Do you like coleslaw? No. Oh, interesting. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, Cohen, thank you for joining us. The, the listeners really do, like the longtime listeners really do like tweet us and stuff and ask like, oh, is Cohen going to be on the final episode each year? Yes, there you are. Do yes. you have anything you want to say to the public? There's like, uh, there's like 100,000 people listening right now. Like, Happy think, New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Folks, 2022 is going to be a good year because Cohen has wished you happiness. You're welcome. Enjoy. You're welcome. We could all use that right now. Thank you, Cohen. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for listening this year. Uh, it's been so fun kind of like looking back at over uh, some of the guests and stuff. Obviously, some of the uh, cast conversations have been the most memorable moments as well. Who would ever forget? Who will forget the game? <laughs> what was it? The the Who would win in a uh, sack three-legged race sack contest or whatever. And Jesse said the Sopranos. I don't know. I lost it. And uh, the games, the, the cast has been so much fun. Uh, last year, feels like, it feels like we trudged through a lot of heavy topics together. We made it. This year, I feel like we had a lot of fun together. Not that we shied away from heavy stuff, but you know, I feel like this year was a lot more fun. Many thanks to Jamie Ivey. It is such an honor that you sacrifice time each week to join us. Um, we love you. Love the work you're doing. Derek Miner has become one of my favorite people in the world. We've traveled together and I know his family. This guy is the real deal. I, he sticks his neck out for the right things. He ticks off the people that should be ticked off. And Derek, I'll always have your back, man. And Jesse, holy cow, dude, my partner in crime, since almost day one on this show, this show literally would not be the same without you. Uh, I have come and gone. I, <laughs> I have missed weeks. I've missed months. You have been the constant. This is this show is you, buddy. And thank you so much for being such a pivotal part of it. And to all of you listening, to all of you who followed along this year, um, it's been a big year of change at Relevant, a big couple years of change in media, really. Um, but especially with us, because we're such a small crew. Um, but, you know, we've made it through and we are very excited about the stuff that's launching and the stuff that's in the pipeline. This is kind of where I get to like tease ahead a little bit. Um, as you know, you know, we're, we're publishing four quarterly issues now instead of doing the print magazine throughout the year we're doing digital issues uh we've we transitioned over to that it you know the content gets to be spread more widely um it gives us a lot more flexibility and hey lower print bills no print bills which is nice uh and we're culminating it 
each year into our big annual print edition made for coffee tables, big, thick, all of our long form content, the best content from throughout the year. Uh, it's, been on, it's been on pre-order for about a month now. And in the next couple of weeks, it will uh, be printed and it will be shipping at some point in January to everybody who's pre-ordered. If you haven't pre-ordered yet, we will leave it open for another week or so. And you can save 20% off the cover price by ordering it and pre-order and being an early adopter. And we're so grateful for everybody who has already done that. Also, coming up in January, we will finally, <laughs> we've been working on it for like the entire year, we will finally be rolling out Relevant Plus, our new digital subscription program. We have a lot of new things in the works for Relevant Plus members, including a new podcast uh, and other exclusive content. Um, I'm excited to tell you more about that in the coming weeks in the new year. And we have some new partners coming up down the road. Um, some exciting stuff. Want to thank our two big partners from 2021, uh, Lumo, the Lumo Project. If you haven't checked out their Visual Bible uh, series, it's amazing. They sponsor our Deeper Walk daily devotionals. And again, if you haven't checked those out, you need to. It's a great way to start your day. But uh, we've we worked with them to develop small group studies and a bunch of other stuff. We love what they're doing. And they have a big year coming up because they're releasing some more films this year. You'll hear more about that soon. But if you haven't checked out LumoProject.com, please do. It's really awesome what they're doing. Um, also, our other big partner this year, UHSM. Uh, health sharing. If you haven't been to uhsm.org to find out what they're doing, it is awesome. It is like as easy as it could be. And it is a Christian based uh, organization that is helping people navigate uh, alternate alternatives to traditional insurance. Go check it out at uhsm.org. Thanking them as well. They've sponsored their quarter life series. Uh, we have some big stuff coming up in 2022 with them. They've uh, presented several of our digital issues this year ad free. Just grateful for their partnership. Lumo, UHSM, please go support both of them. It really makes a difference and supports this show. Um, and to all of our other advertisers and partners, we just can't, we can't do it without you. And all of you who are listening and uh, have shared the content and gauge us online and Tell me, tell us snarky replies on Facebook and Instagram comments. You know, we appreciate you too. <laughs> we love the feedback. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, thanks for a great year this year. Uh, we are very excited about what's coming up in 2022. We pray for you guys. We pray that you have a blessed holiday season with your families and that 2022 is awesome for you all as well. Uh, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang and we will see you next year. We'll be here next Tuesday. Happy New Year's, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at RelevantMagazine.com. Let's give another run at these toilet seats, guys. We got to diversify.
This adventure is going to be a no for me, dog. I would put wheels on that thing in a steering wheel and just drive around town on David Hasselhoff. Who's your new partner, Batman? I don't know, he's got a blowgun. The parlor with the O is back on top. Does someone have an Old Testament? Oh, this is sick. It's everywhere. Hello? I don't know where this dog's been. My hand just exploded. And I had to blow towards the Manson family. It'd be a wild time. Hurry, get the water balloons. Get them. Get them. Go. Hey, kids. Who wants an up-close look at the gallbladder? If you settle into the first three seasons, the last nine are really good. You're wearing a blazer with flannel sweatpants. Come play with us. <laughs> I'm considering moving to Pakistan. And here's why. <laughs> no, I can't go to the Mulberry Street Cafe. You guys know me. I'm a buff superhero fan. Please, Michelle, I'm so sorry. Baby, come back. Please, what do you say, Quiet Storm? Dude, he replaces mailbox with a bowling pen. What, is it going to be the Degenerate Alumni Fund? There's a nun uprising? I'm starting to question my entire wardrobe. You should see the wacky adventures we have in store. What is that? Just shut up for a second! We're going to be sending down McDonald's every meal. Jojo Joseph Jonas. I've never seen someone nearly overdose on Oreos. If I'm fist fighting a grizzly bear, I need to start practicing now. Oh, hello! I just sold some great invisible artwork. Roll a dice and invest in flying saucer tech. Let me guess, some seltzer and lime, gentlemen? They've been going homemade chemicals for a long time. If you're a guy who runs a float tank place, you've seen some stuff. Cut the grass for dad. You can stay in barely space. Don't come back here. And the blue knight is Scott. And guess what? His car broke down, okay? This edition of The Great Commission is brought to you by Blue Apron. The perfect crime? Uh, why are grandma's shoes on the table? Gloriously bedazzled pleather purple chaps. There's a giant rat running at me. You better not misreport this. You better not misreport this. I'm the coach and no one can tell me I can't. What could be next? The day he drank coffee. I got a body cam on. Did you guys see this? They found Bat Boy. He's in a cave. The doctors called it a reverse medical miracle. I'm slowly going colorblind in one eye. Bob's uncle. Hey, Derek, those Gatorades don't distribute themselves. I like hibachi flavors, so lay off, lady. It's like Squid Game is taking place in my neighbor's driveway. I am in a psycho's funhouse of pain. Keep your hands inside the duck boat, everyone. He's been vaping. You go to your room, Nagadocious. See you, Mr. Bananas. Bye. There wasn't a scarecrow in that apple orchard earlier today, was there? And I still don't apologize, Bush Gardens. Hey, man, I'm not doing drugs. I call them grugs. Ooh, would you look at that black? Wake up, sheeple. Hey, Jeff, where's the bathroom? When did we decide to just toss an orange into the equation? Further south you go, the more Mad Max it gets. This boat won't break 40 knots or everyone dies. And I'm like, well, we're in the middle of the ocean. He's in there scratching lottery tickets. It's not really a napkin. It's more of a squeegee situation. Ringo, make a beat for this one. Wake me up before you go. <laughs> if this person isn't a child, they're likely a sociopath. Technology has ruined hypothetical heist. It's like a police siren up in the front row. Come on, bro. Yeah, I'm going to go all in in 2022, but to give myself a break, I'm not brushing my teeth to the new year.
Relevant Podcast Network.